This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Turn to the book of Lamentations. We thought, since we're going to talk about parenting, we probably should have a good lament to uh, turn to. So we're going to spend tonight looking at the book of Lamentations. Before we do, I'm going to take the liberty, do something I think the pastors would approve of. Um, I just had this idea, and um, I thought I would communicate to you, Bob and Julie, uh, a gift that we're giving you. So the, the leaders here would be aware, Bob would be aware. This is a gift from these folks uh, to you. Uh, they have a new digs up in uh, Louisville for uh, Sovereign Grace Music, which has served our local church. We, we love Sovereign Grace music. We appreciate it very much. I, I'm not sure we tell you thanks enough how much it, it means to us individually. I mean, we listen, you know, a lot of us benefit from uh, whatever you call them, the albums. Uh, <laughs> are they albums? I don't know. Uh, but we, we, we enjoy it. Uh, I think Sovereign Grace is... Song Grace Music has just really served our local church over the years. And so thanks for all the hard work. And I know a lot of people contribute to that. And so when they were getting the new building and, and they have to outfit this, I guess, with some speakers, <laughs> such, uh, they, um, it, you know, received an offering, I think, uh, sent out a note of some sort. Uh, to receive an offering. And so we wanted to contribute as a, a local church. And so we are giving you a gift of $10,000 from Cornerstone. And that's from these guys. And to say thank you so much. And we want to be a part of helping build that building. And so for the leaders, going, wait a minute, I thought we were trying to pay off our building. Uh, <clears throat> Not anymore, you know? Yeah. We're, we're just not good with the budget. Ask Tommy. He's like, yeah, yeah, you can never tell what these guys are doing. Yeah, Tommy never minds when we give to Sovereign Grace. He always likes it because he works for them part-time. So we knew we'd get a thumbs up on that one. Yeah. Anyway, so Bob, thanks for being with us. Julie, thanks for, thanks for being here. We're, we're very grateful. So we're going to turn to Lamentations tonight and take a look at this in the next few hours that I have with you. We're going to begin reading in verse 15, read down through verse 26. This is God's Word. It's a gift. This whole book is just a gift, and I, I hope that uh, you hear a better sermon than I will preach and that it will commend this book to you. Verse 15, I think the author is Jeremiah. He says, He has filled me with bitterness. He's referring to the Lord. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, 
My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, the bitterness. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Father, give us the gift of illumination. Prepare us for life in this fallen world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the summer of 1981, Sherry and I had been married about a year. It was between the, my junior and senior year in college. For the only time in my life, I did construction work. I worked for a construction company that was building one of the hotels downtown. So it was 1981. The World's Fair was coming in 1982. If you were around then, you remember. Most of you kids weren't here, but uh, they were building all kinds of hotels, getting ready for the World's Fair, and I was working on one with this construction company and construction workers. It was quite an experience. I was living on our farm in Loudoun County. Sherry and I were living in a trailer. Uh, my mom and dad provided for us, and we were commuting to Knoxville every day. So I was going from this idyllic setting on uh, Teleco Lake, which I hated, but it was a beautiful place, and driving to a very different culture. I'd worked in a factory. I was actually a member of the United States Steelworkers Union. Anybody else? I didn't think so. But construction companies are unique. So many things happened. I thought, you know, I could entertain you for hours with stories from that summer. But I'll just tell you one. I worked on the outside of the building, so the concrete was smooth. And I had a tool called, it was, it was kind of like a jackhammer. And basically, I think what we were doing, <laughs> wasn't really sure, but I think what we were doing was just working on the concrete for appearance sake. So you were taking all the smooth off and making it look pretty, I guess. But we worked high up on the building on a moving scaffold. And it would be, it, you know, there was no way to get there other than we had a crane. So one of those huge cranes you've seen okay, with a, I guess it's a boon, is that what that's called? That, it goes back and forth, and they put you in a basket to haul you up to your moving scaffold. I, I was told at one point that OSHA was called several times on this company, <laughs> and I, I see why now that I'm 63. All the bosses left at 5 p.m., I'm not sure it made a, a huge difference, but 
After they left, certainly the inmates were running the prison. And the crane operator, I will never forget, when he came to get us, after the ship, the bosses are gone in his little basket, he would look up at us. He had mirror sunglasses and an evil, wicked grin. And he would, he would, he would get, we'd get in the basket and he would lift the boon up and then raise the basket where you would actually be above the building. And then, to his great del delight, he would put the cable in neutral and just let it free fall. And then shifted into gear. And then, you know what he would do. Take it back up to the top again. And you would just look down. You'd see these mirror sunglasses guys having a great time. Because there was this one guy who would just lay down in the basket and scream and cry. And we would try to say, man... You're the reason he's doing this. The rest of us are trying to act like, hey, we just want to go home. But this guy is screaming, crying. That was over 40 years ago. And looking back, I think it was, it was bizarre. It's a bizarre memory. I, I just have trouble. That really happened. It was wacky. It was dangerous. It was scary. I started thinking about lamentations in life, in this world that we live in, and I thought, you know, that's not even on the top 10 scariest things that have happened over the last 40 years. <laughs> it doesn't even rank. It's a joke. Life is difficult even for a guy like me that hasn't suffered much. Here's a quote from Guess Who? Martin Lloyd-Jones, come on. We're... <laughs> what really makes life, life, and, and I'm going to repeat this for the Lord's Prayer series coming up, so you're going to hear it again, is that I should be walking in fellowship and communion with God. That, according to John in his first epistle, is the real way of facing life in a world such as this. There are contradictions and difficulties, aren't there? There are all sorts of things to get me down. But John said he was writing that letter in order that your joy may be full in spite of it all. How is my joy to be full in such a world? By having fellowship with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. This is real living. But the moment I realize that, I know there are certain things that tend to interrupt that fellowship. I am sinful, therefore I need forgiveness of sins in order that I may enjoy the life of God. And when my communion with God has been restored... The only other thing I need is to continue to enjoy that fellowship without interruptions, without anything coming between me and the face of God, who has become my Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that really matters for us is that we know God as our Father. 
If, if, only, if we only knew God like this, our problems would be solved. <laughs> now, I believe that with all my heart. And the goal of this retreat and the goal of this message is to help you. Every time we've done this retreat, this is the goal. This is our burden. This is what we want to do. We want to help you have full joy in a world like this. A world where it often feels like you're in a basket, you're hoisted up by a crane that is driven by a crazy man taking wicked pleasure in your trials. And all the people around you are screaming. How do you have full joy in a world like that? That's what the goal of this retreat is and the goal of this message. Let's, let's start off by talking about Jeremiah. He is traditionally accepted as the author of Lamentations. He was a prophet. He was born in a little town called Anatoth, a few miles northeast of Jerusalem. He was a priest. He was called to be a prophet around 627 B.C. He ministered for 40 years during the reigns of Judah's last five kings. They were terrible years. What a calling this man had. He began his ministry under the reign of the last faithful king in Judah, Josiah. But then came this series of five puppet kings. And during this time, Babylon overtook Assyria as the reigning superpower in the region. Israel, the northern kingdom, you may remember, had already been swamped by Assyria, and Judah, now the southern kingdom, was trying to do everything it could to avoid Babylonian destruction. It sided with Egypt, it sided with Babylon, tried to rebel, nothing worked. Jeremiah's job, his calling, was to give Judah bad news. In fact, he was almost always telling them what they did not want to hear. So the people wanted to believe the false prophets. The false prophets were saying, no, Babylon's not going to conquer Judah. It's not going to happen, or if it does happen, it's going to be short-lived. That's what the false prophets were saying. That's what they wanted to hear. But, but Jeremiah had a word from the Lord. He said, God is going to use Babylon, a wicked nation, to punish our people. Wasn't a popular message. It wasn't that he was, you know, kind of rooting for the wrong team, but God was going to use the wrong team to discipline his people. He wasn't popular. His hometown plotted against him. People tried to kill him. He was persecuted. He was reviled. I heard Kevin DeYoung say, if he wrote an autobiography, he could have titled it, Hey, Don't Shoot the Messenger, The Life Story of Jeremiah. He didn't get a lot of likes, we can say, on social media. He never married. The Lord told him never to marry. Don't take a wife. The whole book of Jeremiah, we only have record of two people who listened to him. One was his scribe Baruch, and the other was an Ethiopian eunuch. It was not a glamorous calling, but Jeremiah was a faithful prophet who spoke the truth to God's people. Then in 605 B.C., Babylon 
took the first exiles from Judah to Babylon. Later, there were more deportations. And over a couple decades, more and more exiles were sent from Jerusalem over to Babylon until 587 when Jerusalem was destroyed. And Jeremiah, he remained in Judah until a faction of Jews took him and Baruch away to Egypt where he died in 580 B.C. And the book of Jeremiah is a collection of his messages. One king burned the first copy, so he, he expanded it, made another copy with Baruch. It had a dual message, tear down, build up. He explained why the Lord brought the judgment of exile on his people, they had, they had flagrantly violated his commands. They had been like an unfaithful wife. They served other so-called gods. They were idolaters. That's why the Lord was judging them. That was his, part of his message. He was tearing down. But he was also building up. He offered hope for the future. He promised that the Lord would ultimately restore his people from exile. He would forgive their sins and he would establish a new covenant that would redeem his people. So here, here are a few carefully crafted verses from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah 9, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, this is the goal of the retreat, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. That's who the Lord is. Jeremiah 23, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. We know who that is. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. It's a prophecy about the Messiah to come. Finally, Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Again, the goal that he would be our God. All right, then we come to Lamentations. It was probably written shortly after Judah fell, after Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. It was written anonymously, but... Ancient Jewish tradition says Jeremiah was the author, and we do know he wrote laments. He was known as the weeping prophet. He experienced the fall of Judah, and it broke his heart. He mourned 
the exile of Judah, God's people being taken from the land. You're familiar with that. He, he was convinced that it was God's judgment for their sins. But he also had that confidence in God's faithfulness. So he had these mixed emotions. And he expresses them in this book, which is poetic. It's laments. It's, it's a recent tragedy. And so, as you read through Lamentations, you, you, you feel this. It's raw. It's fresh. It's just happened. It's on his mind. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's an incredible book of poetry. If you've ever seen, have you ever heard of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? It's uh, what's left of, the only thing left of the temple area. It's actually, uh, I think it's a, uh, it's like the Western Wall that Herod built. But it's the only thing left and now Jews will go. Even today, the Jewish people in July will go and read Lamentations at the Wailing Wall to mourn the destruction of Judah by the Babylonians. They love this deep conviction of the Lord's faithfulness that they find there. A lamentation, it's a, it's a passionate expression of grief. It's a prayer of grief. It's a prayer of sorrow, of pain. It's a prayer for help from someone who is suffering. There's, there's lots of emotions. There are five laments in the book of Lamentations, five chapters. Each chapter is an individual lament. And they focus on different issues. Lament one, Lamentations one, is Jerusalem sorrow. Lament two is God's punishment. The one we're in, Lament three, is Jeremiah's pain. So it's personal. And then chapter four, Jerusalem's siege. And finally, Jeremiah's plea. Read it while you're here. Be a great thing. Get up tomorrow morning and Saturday thinking about all this. Get ready for the parenting seminar. Get your favorite lament. And benefit from this. Don't, don't miss that the Bible doesn't just look on the sunny side. The Bible doesn't just look on the bright side. Scripture never promises God's people that life won't include what Lloyd-Jones said, contradictions and difficulties. Never said it wouldn't, the basket wouldn't go up and down. The, the crane driver wouldn't be crazy and mad. What we learn in the Bible is not that everything's going to be fine. That we won't have experiences that can get us down. What we learn in the Bible is how to enjoy communion with God in the midst of it all. That's what this retreat is about. That's what this message is about. That's what Lamentations helps us with. How to experience full joy when life is chilling. Monday night, I turned on the football game hoping Peyton and, Lee and Eli were going to be doing their thing, but they weren't. Buffalo was playing Cincinnati. 
And when I turned it on, there was no game going on. Everybody was on the field. There was an ambulance on the field. DeMar Hamlin, defensive back, a safety for the Bills, had <coughs> suffered cardiac arrest after a play. And, and people said it was a chilling scene. He was a rookie for the Bills, and he had tackled a receiver for the Bengals, and he had cardiac arrest, we learned later. And so for multiple minutes, CPR was being administered. It was quite a scene. He, he got oxygen 16 minutes. They worked on him, finally put him in an ambulance and took him to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. When, when it was happening, players were weeping on the sideline. The game was postponed. It was a primetime national TV audience. Both players from both teams gathered around this young man and knelt and prayed for him. It was, it was striking. The next day, an ESPN commentator paused, didn't care what anybody thought, and said, I'm going to pray for him right now. It was very striking. NFL football players are, are young. They are arguably the best athletes in the world. They get injured, of course, playing football, but otherwise they're fit, they're healthy, they're famous, they're wealthy. Watching an NFL football game, you rarely see the contradictions and difficulties of life, do you? You don't see that. I mean, losing may look like a difficulty, but in this context, the football game was put into perspective. In fact, there was this debate that happened. So after they took him off the field, all the officials were talking. Everybody was talking. The question was, do we continue the game? You didn't know this at the time, at least I didn't, but Social media was lighting up. They were doing their thing. They were angry. They were self-righteous. How dare you consider playing this game? They canceled, postponed the game. The next day, what was amazing was they, they just have to get somebody. So they, they're like, the NFL thought about canceling the game. The NFL had to come out and make a statement. We never thought about canceling the game. Now, come on. It was a confusing moment. The refs were confused. Everybody was confused. The right thing to do was postpone the game. The players, this was their friend. But did they have the thought? Of course they did. They were trying to consider everything and make a decision. In the end, they made the right decision. I thought it was ironic because it's like, oh, you know what? Football isn't that important. Life is what's important. Well, that's not the message you send out every single day in this culture. But let's move on to happy thoughts. It was an interesting night. And my point is this. What my heart went out to these guys weeping on the sideline. I thought, you're not prepared for tragedy. You're not prepared for the difficulties and the contradictions of life. 
I want to make sure we are prepared. And I can't help but think about my friend Doug Sexton. He died of cancer a few years ago, and he told me repeatedly as he was dying, thanked me repeatedly for preparing him for this moment. Now, I am so thankful I have that memory. And I want to prepare you. That's, that's what this message is about. All right, we're going to talk about the character of God in the book of Lamentations. This is how to have full joy in a world such as this. All the ups and downs, all the things, Lord Jones said, that get us down. Here's how to... Have full joy. Let nothing come between you and the face of God. And that's how Lamentations helps us. Jeremiah has carefully crafted these verses. So I'm going to take three points from Lamentations to notice and to apply. We'll just take a few minutes and look at these. And then we're going to return to singing and worshiping. We've got Bob here, going to take advantage of it and just enjoy some unhurried time really worshiping the Lord. So number one, Jeremiah acknowledged Israel's sin and he acknowledged God's uprightness in judging their sin. He acknowledged Israel's sin, he confessed it, and he said God was just to judge them the way he did, even though it was a terrible tragedy. The Babylonians sacked Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. Hundreds of men, women, and and children were slaughtered. People were taken captive into exile. From Jeremiah's perspective, this was to be expected. God had been warning Israel for hundreds of years, sin leads to judgment. If if God's people didn't follow God's law, if they didn't keep His covenant, He promised the curse. And it included expelling them from the promised land. The prophets continually reminded them of this. Even after the northern kingdom was destroyed, they did not repent. Lamentations 2, verse 17, The Lord has done what He purposed. He has carried out His word, which He commanded long ago. He's thrown down without pity. He's made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. He's exalted the wrong team. The the Babylonians were the immediate cause of Judah's troubles, but the sovereign God of Israel was the ultimate cause. Here here in chapter 3, Verse 37, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? 
Listen, why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? The reason for God's judgment of Israel was, was their transgressions, their multitude of her transgressions. Jeremiah freely confessed these. He accepted that their suffering as a nation was because of the righteous wrath of God. He didn't make excuses. He didn't shift the blame. The people living around him, they weren't very good at that. Our generation isn't very good at that. Let's face it, people are not good at confessing sin. We make excuses. We shift the blame. God hates sin. He still hates sin. And we should hate sin. And we should grieve over sin. And humble confession and repentance should be a common practice among us. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar. His word is not in us. Hebrews 2, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. The, the author of Hebrews is talking about adversity in, this, in, in his audience. He's talking about adversity. It's the discipline of the Lord because he loves you. That's the New Testament. <coughs> now we know not all suffering and adversity is caused by sin. There's not a one-to-one -one relationship here. There are other reasons for suffering and adversity. We know that because of the book of Job. We know that because of the book of Ecclesiastes and other scriptures in the, in the Bible. But nevertheless, the Lord does discipline those he loves. And we are wise to confess our sins. The good news is that on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath we deserved. So one application I want to encourage you with, confess your sins, but review. I've got some verses here. Let's review these, write these down, memorize them. And preach the gospel to yourself. It will make confession of sin so much more common in your life if you quickly are preaching the gospel to yourself. Jesus bore the wrath we deserve. Romans 3, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah didn't have these verses. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Philippians 3, for his sake, Paul said, I suffered the loss 
of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may always have the face of God in my life, that I might always have that communion, that fellowship, the great treasure of the gospel of the kingdom, the great treasure, fellowship with God in Christ, that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. A second point to notice and apply. Jeremiah was honest about how he felt in the midst of the contradictions and the difficulties, the ups and the downs, the things that get you down. He was honest. He vented his feelings to God. He, he told God how he felt about him. Job wrote laments. The psalmist wrote laments. Jesus himself quoted laments. They're honest. It's an expression of trust when we communicate this. And that's why you want to be familiar with these laments so that they help you. Scripture helps you communicate to God. It's not wrong to cry out. It's not wrong to feel scared during difficult times and, and tell the Lord how you feel. It's actually an expression of trust. I trust you, Lord. I want you to know how I feel. It honors God. In each of the five laments in the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah built the laments around the number 22. You can't see this without the Hebrew language. But it's there. It's, it's the number of letters, 22. There's 22 Hebrew letters in the Hebrew alphabet. In, in Lament 3, for example, all three lines in each stanza begin with a consecutive letter. It's brilliant. English Bibles highlight this because there, there is a... A number for each line. There are 66 verses in Lamentations chapter 3. And it just, it just communicates completeness. Jeremiah used every letter at his disposal intentionally to communicate how he felt. Every letter to express his sorrow, his agony, his fear. His concern. Verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. That's what Lamentations is all about. He felt God had turned against him. He felt he was deaf to his prayers. He felt he was being stalked and attacked by a wild animal, an enemy soldier. He felt God had humiliated him and robbed him of his peace and hope and left him in despair. For a moment, he had lost hope in in the Lord, verse 18, we read this in the beginning. I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord has perished. I don't have any hope in the Lord. We all experience these 
mixed emotions when we suffer. And Jeremiah is no exception. Almost immediately though, in verse 20, 21, he communicates his hope is alive. He's got these tensions in his soul. He felt as though God did not hear his prayers, but then later he expresses confidence that God had heard. So he goes back and forth. He states five times in Lamentations, there's no one to bring him comfort. But the whole book is, a, is, a, is calling to God to comfort him. <laughs> You're not crazy, okay? When you feel this way. You're not bipolar because you feel this way, because you're going back and forth. You're a human being. And you, if, if, you, if you communicate, tell God at those times how you feel. Become familiar with lamentations and use these laments to help you have full joy in a world such as this. Finally, number three, Jeremiah emphasized God's faithfulness. This is what brought me to this message. This is why I'm here. These are my bread. This is my bread and butter right here, okay? This has gotten me off the cliff a number of times. And I love these verses. I love these verses. Jeremiah carefully crafted them in the midst of all this. And I believe to some degree... For me. Maybe you don't need them now, but someday, the, the, the message, this retreat, what this is all about, someday you're going to need these verses. Be familiar with them. Those who look to God have hope. We have hope. We have an assurance. God will meet us with real mercy, even when we sin. It, to not do that, what Jeremiah is saying, would be contrary to who he is. Contrary to his character. And that's why we're going to sing to him. We're going to sing and worship him for who he is. This I call to mind, verse 21. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love. of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. They're new, fresh. Great is your faithfulness. Verse 31, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though He cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. I just... His steadfast love for you, okay? He loves you, and it's a steadfast love. It doesn't move. It may feel like it's moving, but it does not move. It's steadfast. And the appropriate response in the midst of adversity is trust and patience. So verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So let's rejoice in the Lord. 
Let's have full joy in this world that we live in. The only thing that really matters for us is that we know God as our Father. If only we knew God like this, Lloyd-Jones said, our problems would be solved. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for revealing to us, Lord, who you are. I confess on behalf of everyone in this room, we need you, Lord. We are helpless. We are unable. We are often perplexed and confused in this crazy world, Lord. We often are overwhelmed by our difficulties. But you are not, Lord. And we cry out to you. And Lord, we're going to end this meeting tonight just singing. This, this retreat is just an opportunity for us to come together as people that live together in a local church and enjoy some unhurried time in your presence, singing to you, Lord. We believe that your mercies are new every morning. We've experienced your love, and we love to sing of it. So, Lord, I pray for everyone at this retreat. May they go home on Saturday filled with joy regardless and prepared for all the difficulties that lie ahead. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.